Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I believe there's a rhythm and art in everything that we do. This is my journey about how I went from being a hip hop dancing engineer to a multifamily real estate investor. If you want to learn more about how you can start investing in real estate, stay tuned to learn from multifamily real estate investors and hear how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. Uh, uh, recording. What it, uh, before we get started, what is Arizona Snowballs? Okay, so like you hear of all these amazing places to go snowboarding or skiing in Colorado and Utah and even in parts of California. Like here we got rinky dink stuff in Arizona. So half the state is desert. The other half is pine trees and the beginning of the Rocky Mountains. But we have a couple of tiny places to go snowboarding, including Arizona Snowball, which is in Flagstaff, which is two hours north of Phoenix. And then four hours away from Phoenix, we have another one called Arizona Sunrise, which is a place where I used to be a snowboard instructor. And there's what? things about, yeah, there's things about me teaching snowboarding to kids that actually has impacted like my entire life. And kids just learn in a different way. And when you become an instructor, instead of you know, like, and you kind of learn from the fact that you're teaching more than you would ever learn if you were just trying to learn on your own, because now you got to follow the exact example that you're trying to provide for people, right? Mm -hmm. So like, I'm just like, hey, you got to learn how to ride switch dance. And then like, so I would take it to the next level and I'd ride as fast as I could switch dance down the mountain. And like, there would be times where I would tumble like for like 500 yards, maybe not quite that long. You know, like it was a lot of fun. I learned, I learned more from teaching than I ever did from trying to figure it out on my own. It's kind of yeah. crazy. That's cool. That's cool. All right. Well, that's a, that's a good start. What's up everyone. Welcome to the multifamily artist <laughs> podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo. Before we begin, I just want to let everyone know that this podcast episode is brought to you by the In Rhythm Multifamily Facebook group. It's my Facebook group where I post you know, content about multifamily investing, just about my journey, some of the meetups that I'm going to, some of my own podcasts and conversations that I've had with, with multifamily investors. So join it. It's a safe place to, to be vulnerable, learn about multifamily real estate. Nice. And uh, yeah, In Rhythm Multifamily Group or InRhythmMultifamily.com. Now for today's guest, he is coming all the way from Arizona. He has a bachelor's degree in uh, chemistry and Spanish from the from ASU, ASU Sun Devils. Right? Yeah, baby. Are they, are they still the Sun Devils? They've never changed, man. Never changed. Been uh, okay, just, <laughs> I just want to make sure. Uh, he hosts the famous popular podcast, The Capital Raisers Show, uh, and it's all about raising money for multifamily syndications. And he is the capital manager for Bakerson, who has syndicated and gone full cycle on 850 units over in Arizona. Since he started the show, he has raised an additional $575,000 through code GPs and is learning to build a database of passive investors. Please give a hot cactus sun devil a welcome to Ruben Greth. Right on, right on, dude. So I'm really pumped up to be here, dude, because you remind me a lot of my beginning part of the Capital Razor show where like I had the bookshelf in the background and I was recording <laughs> out of a spare bedroom in my house and like it can blow up really fast. It just depends on you know, like you maintain the high energy and get the right guests and hopefully some other things align with God's intentions and all of a sudden you're blowing up and money's coming from all kinds of places you had no idea because you know like you experience weird stuff along the way where your company's <laughs> like hey where's the money you're the capital guy so but <laughs> things can happen in a weird way which i love to talk about spiritual stuff so hopefully we'll go we'll dive deep into that area if not that's cool too man. So no we will super we... pumped up to be on here man thank you so much taylor Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thank you for, I was going to say, thank you for having me. I'm like, thank you, for them. Thank, you. <laughs> thank you for coming on to my show. Thank you for coming on to my show. And honestly, I've been excited for you to, to be a guest for the longest time since our last conversation. So really looking forward to this, but I, I guess like just first starting out, what, what brought you to here and starting this show? So how did you get started in real estate in the first place? Yeah. So I just did a clip on motivation versus inspiration. And I think 
there was something inside of me compelling and guiding me to get to where I'm at, because I could say like all these things, oh, I, you know, I put myself in the right place and the right position. It was all me, but that's not the case at all. Like sometimes God writes the books through you. And I think that's what's going on right now, because like, I thought that I had it dialed in. I thought that I had arrived. I had like raised capital for small multis in Phoenix. And then I found out that God had different plans for me. He's just like, Hey, you know, like we're going to break you up with your partner. We're going to send you back to corporate America. You're going to be broke. You're going to be suffering. And I ended up like saying, I cannot do this path. I quit my job and was like, I need to find something different. Maybe I just need a break. So I took off to Mexico and I was like, I'm going to take my dogs and we're going to camp and we're going to go on a specific time. And like we went through hurricane season and I just found all the right techniques and methods to get through the country unscathed. And at one point in time, I found this little town called Acapulco where I was drinking a beer on the beach. And then, you know, I ran out. So I went up to the Circle K, <laughs> which is known as the OXO down there. And right in front of the OXO, more or less, my wife, my, my now wife came out out of a network marketing meeting. And so eventually we got married and she inspired me again. And I got this new energy. And when we were back in the United States, I was like, well, I'm inspired now. Let's, let's get back into this multifamily thing. I, I screwed it up the first time, sort of. I guess there's, there's certain lessons that have led me to become more powerful from what I learned back then today. Mm -hmm. But if it hadn't have been for her, I'd probably still be like in the ranch in Sedona, like, you know, tinkering around doing goofy stuff, like trying to fix up this <laughs> hundred year old property. So she inspired me. And then like, because I was inspired, I was like, telling people about why I liked multifamily and I was like, Hey dude, I just want to, I know fourplexes, I'll buy one and then I'll multiply my portfolio once every couple of years until I get to 32 fourplexes. You know, I'll go from one fourplex to two fourplex to four to 16 to 32. Mm -hmm. And they're like, wait, how, what, why, what, how many do you want to do? I'm like 128 units. I'll cash flow into the sunset. That's everything that I need. And they're like, well, why don't you just buy 128 units right now? And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, I, I don't know how to do that. Like all I know is fourplexes. It's just like, they introduced me to this concept called syndication. And then I studied it, was going to hire somebody to, you know, like at $30,000 a clip to teach me this business. But I did ask my broker who I bought all my small multis from back in the day, I'm like, who do you know that syndicates? I really want to learn who do I need on my team. And he's like, well, I sold Bakerson a $5 million property last year. I'm like, can you just set up a meeting? I want to ask him who, who do I need on my team. So I interviewed Bakerson. Bakerson was like, well, why do you care about multifamily syndication? I'm like, well, we'll have a track record of raising capital. I've done it before. I do social media. I think I can put together a team and, you know, create generational wealth and create tax benefits and make money and I want to learn about it because I think it's probably a faster route than me buying a fourplex the way that I wanted to. I've heard about this thing called syndication. It makes sense to me. And they're like, wait a second, go back, go back, go back, go back. Did you just say that you raised capital from social media? I'm like, yeah, I did it back in the day. I was buying little multis with my friend. And they're like, well, do you think that you can do that today? And I'm like, well, I can try. So they brought me on board and that was the inception of the Capital Raiser show. I figured that would be the fastest, most efficient way to get traction, brand awareness, and national exposure for my company. And I was right, right? So mm. if you can if you can dial in a, a specific way of being on your podcast, you can get a lot of exposure. And now, you know, what has it been? 18 months. We have a really nicely growing audience. It's gone from zero downloads to 60,000. And only? it's it, yeah, only it's 60, It's blowing up. It's blowing up <laughs> oh, right now. No, that's blowing up. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm, I'm pumped up because it's a very niche specific audience. It's not right. like one of these things where you're like targeting the world with a Joe Rogan audience that can you can talk about like funny stuff. It's a very niche specific audience. So for me to get that traction, I'm very proud of the the work that I've put in because I have almost killed myself with this podcast. I don't want that to happen. I want Ruben. I want Ruben around. I don't want you to kill yourself. Um, no. Cause yeah. I, I can tell you what changed. 
I, I was burning out, dude. I was yeah. really burning out. And you know what? What changed everything was that like I stopped following rules. Like I was like, oh, I need to follow specific things. I have to do artwork. I have to get it to the person. I have to submit, you know, like I have to get it out on specific days. When I finally threw that out and released my attachment to the way it had to look, then it became fun again. I like started releasing more content than I was before. I didn't have to follow anybody else's rules or guidelines. Just did whatever the hell I wanted to. Interviewed whoever I wanted to, like did my own segments, just did stuff, I think, to some level differently than everybody else is doing it and was just having fun. And mm. that's what makes it fun is that I just don't, I don't have any rules. I don't have any attachment to the way it has to look. So think about that down the road when, when it gets hard, just like, hey, it doesn't have to be <laughs> what I need it to be. It can just be fun, right? So. Right. Now, I wanted to go back to, because when you said you got your start when you're raising capital for, you know, these, all these fourplexes and mm -hmm. um, the smaller multi, yeah. right? So what was, what were the bigger differences between raising capital for uh, mm. those versus raising capital for these larger assets and for these syndications? Wow. I could, I could go in a couple of different directions because I could say that it's completely different, which is something that I've been saying, but I could also say that it's completely the same. <laughs> so back then, back then I, I found this dude, he came to my meetup, he was buying fourplexes. He had a bankruptcy. I didn't know where he was getting the money from or how he could finance it. And what I found out was that he was raising from his friends and family and personal contacts. He was horrible at social media and I'm just like, I don't understand how you're doing this. Can I just follow you to your projects and let's talk about them and share your business model without ever asking for money or sharing specific numbers that we can, you know, provide in terms of rates of return and things of that nature. Let's just talk about your business model. And he's like, okay. So as a result of that, people would fly into town. They, it took a while, right? So, so it sounds fast, right? But mm -hmm. like over a period of six to eight months, people started flying to town. They're like, we love your business model. It's an amazing time right now in the history of the world because it might be the biggest transfer of wealth that we've ever experienced. You can buy stuff at 20,000 units and charge five, six, $700 for rent which automatically puts you into a very astronomically cash flowing position, a very unique time in history, which does not exist anymore. So I don't want to say, hey, what I did back then works exactly the same, but hmm. in certain ways it does. So we shared our business model. People would fly in, we'd court them, we'd take them to the property, we'd offer them to get in on a deal. They would typically say no on the first one, and then they would see that we would take it down anyways. And then they would have that fear of missing out on such a great deal. So they would invest on the second or third one or whatever. Very similar to what's actually going on today where you talk about your program. I, I think there's a higher level of communication and higher level of no like, and trust that is required for multifamily syndication than these old little joint ventures for fourplexes. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of the same thing. Like people see that if they, if they see you, say that you're going to take down a property and you do they're like in on the next one and that's exactly what we're experiencing now mm -hmm. so we're taking down properties and then they want in on the next one right so it's kind of a different market but more or less it's the same thing the idea is you're not selling a specific deal you're just making friends you're telling them what you do and then trusting that they will automatically kind of come to you and see that you're a good operator and over time they will invest with you and that's exactly the model that we're doing now in a different kind of capital race it's no longer a joint venture capital race for me personally it's a syndication which is different because it requires communication but it's the same concept you're just sharing what you're doing and people over time they get to find out about who you are and they like you hopefully enough to invest with you and and that's what we're doing. So it's not it's not different from that regard. Now I'm not too familiar with raising money for joint ventures. Now, awesome. are there are there certain are there certain rules where because I know for syndications like there's there's five six C versus five six B and five six C you can publicly advertise um, certain offerings, right? But did those did some of those rules apply for for joint ventures where you could publicly advertise certain no. deals? 
No. No. So, so I first, before I got into capital raising, I was in the lending business and we were put through instructional programs to understand this thing called Regulation Z and Truth in Lending, TIL, which says that like as a lender, you cannot promote specific interest rates to people. They have to like credit qualify and do all these things. So I automatically knew just from that, that we could never share numbers publicly. Mm -hmm. In the world of capital raising for joint ventures, it's very similar. You're still not providing any numbers, but here's the, the main difference between raising for joint ventures and raising for syndications. And kind of a, by definition, what is a syndication? It's as soon as you have somebody that's passive. In other words, they have no active role. When you're raising for a joint venture, typically the partner brings all the capital, but they are doing something like they're saying, hey, you know, we have washing machines or let's let me choose <laughs> the paint or, you know, let me help guide the instruction of what we're doing. As soon as somebody says, I don't want to have any responsibility for that. Here's my money. You manage it. That's when it becomes a security. And that's what a syndication is. Mm -hmm. You're managing somebody's money and they have absolutely no, no say in the operations of it. And that is a security. So from that point, you can do one person securities or 25 people securities or a hundred people securities just depends on, you know, like, whatever, like how many people you want, how big is your project, how many people are required to fund it. But as soon as it becomes, I don't want to have anything to do with the operational side, that is passive investing and passive investing is an indication of a security. So that's the big difference is mm. now you're now like some of the questions become like, well, how do you raise for securities? Like, what are the regulations behind securities? Are they, yeah. you know, because you can do regulation A, which is like Grant Cardone style. Hey, I can take $5,000 investments. You can do crowdfunding. You can raise from family office. You can raise from institutions. You can even bring co-GPs. You can bring from limited partners. There's all these varieties of ways and you have to navigate all of that. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the same thing. Like you can't say stuff publicly about what you're offering in return for you know you investing in terms of numbers like hey let me put out there to the world hey we got a 14 percent internal rate of return and 10 percent cash on cash or whatever the numbers are it doesn't even matter mm -hmm. unless you do a specific exemption of securities laws like a regulation 506 uh, i think it's a regulation d 506 b or c or a which certain of those you're allowed to say numbers and certain ones you're not. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not too, I'm, I'm not too familiar with. So I can tell you, know. you I'll break it down real quick. Yeah. So well, regulation A. I know B and C. I know B and C. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, break it down, break it down. Re regulation, oh yeah, I'm not going to get crazy with it because we'll lose the audience. But regulation <laughs> A is the, the crazy marketing magic dude like the Grant Cardones. Mm -hmm. They just raised in $5,000 increments. That's a very expensive procedure to put in place with a with an attorney so what most people do to save a bunch of money is they do either 506b or 506c 506b is a regulation in the irs code i think i think i'm saying that right but it allows you to raise from friends and family without having uh security you know like hey you're not a, you're not breaking any laws if you file this exemption and then a 506C allows you to take it to the next level, which is to actually advertise. But at that point, you now you can only go to accredited investors, which are people that, that earn a million dollars or two million as a couple and have something like that. I don't even know exactly what they are. I think it's, you have to have a specific net worth and then make so much. I think it's $250,000 a year or 350,000 as a couple and have to have a net worth of 1 million. So those are, those are the correct ones. Yeah. I think I was going off on a tangent, but that's that's actually the definition of an accredited investor. And I think they're loosening up and changing things on the way that you can raise capital and new things are coming down the pike. But right now, that's that's what exists. Hmm. So. Yeah, that was that was, that was a lot. <laughs> that was that was, a, yeah. that was a lot. That was a lot. <laughs> um, and, and definitely uh, make sure to 
this is not legal advice. We definitely want to make sure they go to a securities attorney. Yeah, I don't. I don't provide legal advice. Yeah, we do not provide legal advice at all. Um, so, I mean, when when you're doing these capital raise and you're reaching out to these different people, then uh, or, or actually, yeah, what what are your methods in finding these other passive investors? And so, I've been studying your question over the last 18 months, like what are the strategies? What are the technical parts of it? Is it emotional? Is it logical? Mm -hmm. You know, is it strategy? Is it mindset? Is it, you know, here's what I've kind of boiled it down to. And, and really life is starting to become a lot easier because I'm no longer so focused on like what's in it for Bakerson or what's in it for me or how can I raise for this deal? Right now, it's really shifted to, I just want to go out and make friends with people in the space, right? So like, that's my main focus. All I want to do is connect with people, make them laugh, make friends, talk about meditation, talk about their cultural background from India or wherever it is in Mexico. I don't even care if they do business with me at this point. Hmm. And this is a big mindset shift because... Now I don't have to, you know, because people can smell that you're selling from a mile away, right? Even subconsciously, like they don't even have to, they read your body language, like they're trying to process it consciously. But as soon as you're trying to sell something or you have some hidden agenda or you want to get people into your deal or you're receiving pressure from your company, hey, where's the capital? Like that changes everything spiritually about the way that you're talking to people. And if, if you can just let all of that stuff go and not be attached to any of that stuff and let the universe do its work the way it does naturally and just make friends with people in the space, like all of the right people just show up. That's what I'm experiencing right now. And I think that's why I'm experiencing a lot of growth mm. because it's no longer about the deal or it's, it's not, it's not even, you know, maybe you'll do business with me down the road. It's like, I don't even care if you do business with me down the road. I just want to be your friend. You know, like if I like you, right? <laughs> That's a part of it. <laughs> they have to, yeah, you have to like them. Uh, did you ever run into any instance that, you know, they didn't take you seriously because you only wanted to necessarily be friends? Like, did you ever run into those people who were like, no, yeah, business, so, business, don't so, want so we did we did the strategy, right? So we like hired this company from the Philippines that had an access to yeah. a list of accredited investors, Shout right? To my so, Filipinos. That the accredited investors would get pitched by the um, call center in the Philippines. And then if they agreed to talk about a deal, they would get onto a phone call and get me on the line automatically. And then hmm. I'd have to start saying stuff like, hey, you got to understand that this is a six month process. Typically, like a, it's a long sales cycle to invest. And I'm not trying to get you to invest 50 grand with me today. But still, it's salesy, right? So, yeah, I, I experienced resistance from people because I had to have those conversations. It was never just like meeting people and saying what's up and like having, you know, <laughs> them asking genuinely, what do you, what's your business or what do you do or, or something like that. It was always about like, hey, you know, this is, this is, there's an agenda here. At some point down the road, we want you to invest. Let me explain why that's a good idea you know, and then using tactics and strategies and psychological analysis and trying to get them to, you know, like I mean, some of the greatest ways to do that, if you're going to do that is to tell stories, right? So like, Hey, you know, I know somebody that was a CPA, he's 65 years old. He wants to retire. He wants to spend time with his children. He's tired of the roller coaster ride that the, that the stock market has taken him through. And he's, working with investors that are his clients and he sees them making money and they're telling him that syndications is how they're doing it and they're creating passive income and generational wealth for their families and receiving that freedom. And when you start to hear about somebody else that's doing it, like instead of getting pitched a deal or that you may get pitched a deal in the future, like mm -hmm. all your guards go down. So that's a, that's a really cool strategy but it's still a strategy at the end of the day. It's not right. connecting with people from a perspective of, hey, I just want to connect. Like, I don't even connect. care if you're in this business 
or if I ever do business with you, that's really what's starting to separate me from the old way that I used to raise capital, where we were talking about our business model, we're talking about stuff, hoping and thinking that maybe from market exposure, you know, we'll get some people. Now it's just like, I still want the big network, but it's not from a place of, hey, let me figure out how to tactically get my sales funnel bigger. Now it's like, hey, I'm in high school. How do I become the most popular dude in school? It's like a different <laughs> mindset completely. Yeah. Right. So how do I, how do I necessarily from a place of, you know, I want the attention, which I think some people like of my personality style really love, but it's, it's really of like, how can I just have the most fun? And sometimes being around the most people is the most fun for people of my personality type. At least I was in high school. I used to love the big parties and I love the attention. And I love when girls would say like, you're the Ruben. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know? like, that's, I love that stuff. You know, they yeah. didn't care like who, who I was. They just cared about their recognition and like whether or not they could get with the dude that had the most recognition. I don't know. It's just kind of, kind of weird and funny. Now, breaking down, just like uh, if, if you take a look back, it's, you know, the way that you were um, like, I guess, like the serious way where you go th uh, through like the Philippines company, right? Like what was the success rate with raising money from those types of investors versus like the, the people that you've already had connections with and you, you yeah. per se made friends with? It's, it's, a, it's a low percentage climb right so you're not going to get a lot of people that we had a little bit of success in terms of like strong leads and like i got on the phone with somebody it's just like oh yeah you know like my my main dude is he just left oil and gas and has like a huge portfolio and has a bunch of money that he wants to spend i can facilitate him doing transaction and thank god that i reached out to you or, or that we got connected because we like arizona we want to invest here but like at the end of the day, it's just, it's an uphill battle. It's an uphill climb to try and get those investors to convert because they, they come from places where they're not, it's not a natural connection. You know, it doesn't happen mm. just like, cause you're, you're doing something cool on LinkedIn. That's another thing that I will say is like a lot of people are, are like, Oh, let's, let's do a strategy, you know, like let's post every day on three platforms to get the most exposure. And then after so many touches, they'll like see me in so many places and eventually they'll know me and they'll hear about me from a podcast and they'll see me at a meetup and they'll see me at a conference. And like, after so many touches, they'll begin to know, like, and trust me. Whereas like, what I like to do is like kind of find a blend of friendly and business in my post. So it's not like this is why you should invest in multifamily, which gets like no likes on anybody's <laughs> post. It's more like, Hey, you know, back when I was with my partner, I was like the post that I did today, I'll break it down for you. I was crabby because I broke up with my investor partner. And then I had to crawl back to corporate America and I hated it. So I quit. So I went to go explore Mexico. Along the way, I found a really cute girl. I ended up marrying her. Now I'm back in the United States. Now I'm back in multifamily. Sometimes what you think was working against you was actually really working for you. So it's like a combination of positivity, hmm. spiritual, friendliness. Like you're talking about business and you're talking about your life, but you're not saying, hey, did ROI on this you know, multifamily asset is this, and that's why you should invest. It's more about like, hey, I'm just like sharing, you know, like the things that I'm learning spiritually in this process called business. I think that's the message that I want to share. And I'm almost compelled to do it. It's not like I'm creatively doing this. I think that's where I struggled the most on, on LinkedIn. It's like where I was trying to do this thing where I could talk about multifamily, but people never liked those posts. So I think this is where I'm having a lot of success too, which is just, just being a real dude. Right. So it's, it's a lot more fun too. And that's something that I always hear too, is like on LinkedIn at these meetups and podcasts and books is that at the end of the day, people are really, they really want to invest 
with people they know, like, and trust. It, it, yeah. the, deal, the deal really couldn't matter. Like, yeah, the deal could make these exceptional returns, but at the end of the day, do they trust you? Do they like you? Do they even know you to, to handle their money, these huge, large chunks of their, their money they've been saving up for, their, for who knows how long, right? Um, now, I want to dive back to, to that first capital raise, though. Because I feel like just going back to the very first one, we can sort of, I'd love to just know some of the struggles that you went through when you didn't have much credibility and you were trying to uh, raise money out of, let's say, nothing, <laughs> out of just your story. So, so what was that like? How did that start? Are we going back to the multifamily days during the crash or my first syndication? You know, let's go, let's go f- during the crash because I, f- I feel like raising money during the crash is also a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, it, wasn't well, as as, it wasn't that hard. Oh, it, really? wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that hard. I don't think really? it's, I don't think it's hard now either, um, which I think is a mindset too, but it, it does require patience. I think that's, I think that's the hardest part is like, whether you're podcasting or raising capital, like you want to see these results like immediately. And it's just, you know, like the, the metaphor of the Chinese bamboo tree. It's like, you have, you have the seed, you have it planted, you have to give it water, you have to fertilize it. You have to do that for five years and never let it dry so that it can build its roots. And then like in year five, if for the first time breaks the ground and sprouts, to like 60 feet and you know the question becomes like did it sprout 60 feet in like three or four weeks or did it sprout in five years and the reality is is that it sprouted over five years Hmm. it's the same thing with capital raising it's the same thing with podcasting like you're not going to see frequently a lot of times unless something magical extraordinary happens like you have to go through this process where you're doing and putting in all this work without seeing any results. And that's what my first capital raise was like. I didn't honestly know if I would ever raise any money, but I did know that like nobody would ever give us money if they didn't know who we were. So I'm like, let's put this out, you know, like let me market on my meetup, on YouTube, on Facebook. Back then I didn't think LinkedIn was a big deal. It was like more for recruiting and Instagram didn't exist yet. So those are the only social media platforms where I could really share content. And I had built a really big network on Facebook at the time. I think I had like 5,000 people on an old account that I no longer have, have anymore. What? You don't have that account anymore. Oh, that no. sucks. That's, that's a whole different story, mm. but they, a lot of those people were not people that I really knew anyways. So I'm not, I'm not really too concerned with it. But, you know, the idea was like, how do I get the exposure and like the YouTube channel worked out really good back then. That was a really good medium for me. Like we built it up to like 700 subscribers or 693 subscribers, whatever it was. And people would watch us and like, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know that it was a (laughs) interview based thought leadership platform. I was just like hanging out with my friend you know, shooting videos of him talking about liabilities and assets with like rap music in the background and just like not caring, right? So like there was no professionalism to it other than the actual message of we're badass. You know, like we're taking down these deals, we're finding them, we're raising capital, we're, this is how we're locking them down. This is how we're tenant occupying. This is how we're getting them back on the market. This is how we're going to rehabilitate them. And this is how we're going to do it in 15 days in an extraordinarily fast time frame that people could not comprehend. I don't even think that we understood like how surreal it was like to get a property tenant occupied and back on the market, like within 15 days, nobody was doing it. And I think that energy that was being captured on the videos, even with all the stupid music that was going on in the background, like people could feel it, right? So that's mm. why they reached out to us because a lot of them were just like, I hate the music on your videos, dude. Can you turn that off, please? <laughs> but like, can we invest with you too? <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't that hard, dude. It's just a matter of time. So the time frame was like this. Like we started shooting videos in 09. I think by the, by the end of 09, early 2010, people started reaching out. And some of them were just like, hey, give me some information for free. And other people were like, we like your model. Let's invest. 
you know, let's, let's meet. And they would fly into town or they would meet us in town at, I think, what was it called? Not Paradise Bakery, but one of those kind of places. We'd have coffee, we'd take them to the property. We'd invite them to participate. We'd find out what their needs are. And then they would typically say no. And then on the next round, they would typically say yes. That's hmm. exactly what's going on today. It's just a little bit differently. Now, so you raised this money, you had this business model and, and you were familiar with it, right? Do you think that you could have raised money for syndications without having to raise money for uh, these joint ventures? Or do you, what were your know. thoughts on that? No, <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm not saying no. Oh. I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying that it wouldn't have been planted in my head that I could do it. Right. So I mm. think that's a big difference. It's like whether you believe you could do it or not. And I don't, I'm not saying that I even knew that I would raise money. I just knew that I could lean back on what I previously did and do it all over again. Right. So I saw what I did. I was like, now I realized that it was a thought leadership platform. I see, I opened up Joe Fairless's book, the best ever apartment syndication book. I book. opened it right to raising capital. And the first thing it said was you need to start a thought leadership platform. So I'm like, okay, well, I think I've done that before. You know, let's do it again. What, what does that take? What does that look like? I'll just start a thought leadership platform. I'll get exposure. I hadn't identified an avatar, like a passive investor or anything like that. But I was like, I'm one of these dudes that just has to do it. So I started it. I was like, well, what am I going to do? I'm like, well, you know, what do I want to do? Well, I want to raise capital. Okay, well, let's start a show about raising capital. And then I started interviewing people that were successful at raising capital. I'm like, at very minimum, I'll get exposure from my company and I'll learn what they do to raise capital. Those were my objectives. Hmm. So far, I've got those two objectives. Never had the objective to go out and find a passive investor to invest in my deal. Never had that interest. So I think a lot of people have that avatar. They want to target that dude. They have that objective that you know like which i think it kind of feels icky for people like uh to say oh i'm gonna go target this dude you know, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of creepy i never i never had that i just wanted to <laughs> learn from the best and then share from a place of humbleness like hey you know i raised a little bit in the back you know back in the day but i'm not here to teach anybody about raising capital maybe a little bit about mindset maybe a little bit about you know like how to approach life, but never about like, I'm never going to be the dude that teaches somebody to raise capital because I don't have that experience or track record. Let's just find out from the dudes that are really good and or the women that are really good and share that information with my audience. And I still, 18 months later, even after having raised a million dollars plus like another 1.3 on the way, I'm never, I, I still feel like I'm such a newbie and a baby in this because I want to raise a hundred million dollars. So I'm never going to brag about, Oh, I've, you know, I'm, check me out, do what I do. Like, it's always going to be like, Hey, this is what I learned from this person. I'm always going to give the credit to where it came from. This is, you know, I learned this strategy or learned this mindset from my mentor, Wayne Dyer, who's a spiritual guy, or this specific raising capital style from Jason Yerusi, who talks about limited partners or when it makes sense to, raised from family office, which I learned from Joseph Ramonte. And, you know, I'll always give the credit where it came from. And mm -hmm. that's, and that's, I think people can resonate with that because they're the student too. The whole reason that they're tuning into the show is so that they can scale their business. And if somebody else is trying to scale their business with them, they can resonate with that because they're in the same position. So it just, it works. It's just the right strategy. It's never let me tell you how to raise capital. It's always like, hey, dude, let's let's listen into this dude that's raising capital and see if we can learn anything from him. One thing that I really respect about you, Ruben, is that you're very vulnerable about what you know and what you don't know. And in a way, I feel like that's very powerful because like my mindset going into this uh, when I first just started learning about this is like, if I'm going to raise capital, I need to know everything or else no one's really going to trust me. But instead you kind of went way up and started a podcast and, and branded uh, and uh, just about saying that you don't know anything, but you're willing to learn and just be that student. Not, not that you didn't know anything, but you were comfortable with 
knowing that you didn't know everything. Yeah. Yeah. There's some yeah. certain ramifications that comes with like having the capital raiser show. Like I get these dudes from Pakistan. They're like, Hey, I got this 50% ROI on a, on a golf, <laughs> golf deal. Send the check here. And I'm just like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> Automatically sending. Yeah. I heard that. I'm already convinced. it's funny like i got my own struggles and learning how to do this business just like everybody else so i get it so you know when you are raising capital and and now that we're talking about struggles what are some of the biggest struggles that you have been dealing with the biggest frustration is is changing the mindset of my team right so like they had successfully raised $50 million before I ever got here from like uh, private equity lenders, hard money lenders, um, and some friends and family. And when they had exhausted those resources, they're like, okay, well, we don't, you know, they had never built a database of LPs. They're like, how do we approach this? You know, what do we do? And then they had, because they had been familiarized with syndications and the SEC part, they're like, oh, we'll just apply this advertising thing. You know, we can go 506C and then we'll just raise the money by sharing, you know, publicly. And that didn't work and it never will for anybody. So don't think that people, but when I came on board, they're like, okay, so you had success raising capital in the past. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I did it this way. It took, you know, so long. And they're like, okay, you know, so they're like, we'll give you time to build this thing out. And then like at month three or month four, they're like, okay, we have a new deal under contract. We need to raise the money. Like who are, who are the people in your database? Like get them on board. Let's raise the money. And they were all like very agenda oriented. Like, Hey, we need to raise this much by this date and this much by the next date. And like, there's all this pressure to raise the money. And the biggest frustration by far is trying to meet their agenda. Mm. Like that is just so impossible to connect with an audience with a person if you feel the pressure that you need to raise for a specific deal they just they can smell it they can see it they can feel it like you're just not being genuine you're not being you like you have something that you want to sell them somewhere behind you know like the curtains and like when I could finally get past that with them and they started realizing that it was going to take time that it was a matter of just raising slowly and making friends and building the database and implementing technology and infrastructure and communications and automations and all these things that we had never done previously. Mm-hmm. It, you know, like it, the capital raising part that a lot of the team hated, which was like the selling stuff. No wonder they hated it because that's where they were coming from. <laughs> now they're starting to re- really love it because they're starting to understand that it's not sales. It's just like being, you know, just sharing what you're doing and just being cool with whatever happens and like the right people will come and having that belief and that knowing internally, like when the, when the team bought into that, everything became a lot more fun and a lot more casual and that allowed us to be at peace. And when you're at peace, you can talk to someone and have a real conversation with them without an agenda, you know? So that's been the biggest difference. And I think a lot of people are going to have to experience that for themselves before they get comfortable with the capital raise because they're going to be like, oh, how do I get in front of the right dude or how do I pick the passive investor? Or where does that avatar hang out and stuff like that? And we've talked about all those strategies on my show, but there's one step further, which is a spiritual step that I highly recommend, which is if you can come from a place of kindness and come from a place of peace and a, a place of just like going out and making connections, all the capital will come to you. I promise. Like it always does. It really does. I don't know that a lot of people can process that mentally or spiritually, but I do see it as a truth. Hmm. I'm curious as to how you came to this mindset of kindness. Uh, and yeah. Peace. I had it. I had it before I ever started raising capital. So I started listening to this dude named Wayne Dyer, who I consider my mentor. I've been listening to his audio 
at insane levels since 2000, I think 2005 or 2006. Read a couple of books that I also find spiritual. Some people consider them mental, like Think and Grow Rich, I consider a spiritual book. The Power of the Subconscious Mind, I consider a spiritual book. And even a lot of people will say they're mental books. So I started listening to him like on my hikes and like really he talked about, you know, being at peace along the way in order to manifest things into your life. And if, you know, like there's a lot of people that know this thing called the science of getting rich or the, the art of versus the art of fulfillment. So the, the science of achievement versus the art of fulfillment, that's, that's the expression that I'm looking for. So there's people that have come on my show, like Rod Cleef, that are just like, oh, yeah, I got rich. You know, like I made all these millions in multifamily and I found myself in my swimming pool in this mansion and I was absolutely miserable. And like Wayne Dyer always talks about like being at peace along the way on your journey. And I started buying into that and his techniques for manifesting because he himself came from what he referred to as a warrior state, right, where you're trying to achieve the things. And then like over time, like he started writing books that were a lot more spiritual and attracting things into your life versus going out and getting them. Hmm. And it's a concept that I don't think a lot of people can really relate to, but I think just because I've drilled it into my subconscious and removed the gatekeeper and removed the ego and let that stuff drive into my subconscious, like it's, it's been a lot, it's been a lot of work, but it's been fun. Right. So now I can just be at peace in the whole thing and, like, I don't know that a lot of capital raisers can approach it that way, but I know, like, I have a knowing inside that because of these, this, this mindset and these uh, approaches to life, that all of the money is already here. It's already on the way. It's, I'm already connected to it. It's, it's just like, I, I just know. That's such a different approach than just what I've been reading about when it comes to capital raising. And, um, and, and I, it's one that I really like and I respect. And it's, it's something that I, I haven't ever thought of, to be completely honest, you know, just because I feel like capital raising is just such a pressure feeling. It, it's, it's so pressure filled where if, if you need to close within what, 60 days and you need to raise like $2 million and they're all looking at you and now you have to go to people and, and try and get this money, like trying to find peace within that is, is just such a stressful moment. Yeah. And so it's impossible. So that's why you got to be focused on the long game, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so, Hey, I want to learn capital raising but it's not a two-year process. It's like something that I want to master because I know in 10, 15 years, if I put in my 10,000 hours of studying this, like my services, I'll get it down and my services will be in such high demand that I will always be needed, right? Mm. So that's, that's the right approach. It's not like, how do I get into multifamily immediately and raise the capital so that way I can get on the spotlight and everybody knows me as the capital. That's just like, that's a stressful way, dude. That's, just, that's it's so hard. Like, I don't recommend that, man. It's just like, you, you're going to be killing yourself. Did you, did you feel that sort of pressure and stress on your first, first raise when you were doing uh, your first indication? Uh, yes. On my first indication. Yes. When I was with Ivan, my small multifamily, I never felt that pressure because we never knew what we were going to create. Hmm. Right. But when, as soon as I told somebody I have experience raising capital, then that, that pressure became real, right? So, oh, you've done it in the past. Let's see you do it again, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, shit. <laughs> that's a crappy feeling. It's a crappy feeling. Interesting, interesting. Because, yeah, no, there, there are definitely times, you know, me being a very young guy, that very, just like I want to rush into it and be like, oh, I, I would just want to establish some form of credibility and, mm -hmm. and jump into the game as soon as possible. Oh and, and then like for the long term, like I want to, do this for the rest of my life and um, patience and, and peace and kindness is definitely what I've, you know, definitely want to want to try and work on. I, you know, I was reading the go giver as well. And you know, where, where he's always talking about, book. yeah, it's, it's absolutely fantastic book. Highly recommend to any of our listeners to, to go pick it up. It's a short read, uh, but it's just talking about how there's so much more power in giving and instead of receiving. True that. Um, yeah. Now, so what do you work? So, so now what are your main focuses right now um, with Bakerson and then for Ruben Greth? Yeah, I've gotten to the point 
where I'm at peace and like, I don't have no, I mean, I'm sure Bakerson because they're still not totally bought into like they want metrics and to track stuff. And, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I'm just not there. I'm just like, the money's already coming. All I want to do is not burn out. I just want to be happy. I don't want the podcast to kill me. I don't want the capital racing to kill me. All I want to do is have fun from here going forward because I already know that the money started coming in and I can just write it. Mm. Right. So beautiful. So now we're going to go to a section of the show where I call creator's corner. And so I have eight questions that I start off like simple, but then they get a little bit more complex and really just dive into the mindset of you and who you are as a person. Uh, just because, you know, I want all my listeners to know how amazing Ruben Greth is. I, you know, <laughs> just a regular dude. Yeah, no, 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 not regular dude. Very spiritual, kind, <laughs> and awesome dude. So uh, first question, favorite sport or hobby? Snowboarding, 100%. It used to be skateboarding, but snowboard is taking over. Snowboarding, okay. Yeah. Favorite movie? There's a special documentary that's kind of done as a movie. It's called What the Bleep Do We Know? And it talks about a lot of spiritual concepts, metaphysics, the science of manifesting, the science of attracting things into your life and how it's scientifically provable. Mm-hmm. So highly recommend that. It's just an amazing, amazing movie. Okay. Favorite real estate or business book? Yeah, so... The most impactful, which is not my favorite, but the most impactful real estate book was written by Michael P. Watson called The Highest and Best Use Real Estate Investing that really drove into me mm-hmm. this concept of forcing appreciation, not necessarily specific to multifamily syndication, because I think a lot of people force appreciation by driving the NOI and lowering the expenses, but like from every aspect of real estate. So like even from land, like you add entitlements, you force the appreciation. You add actual physical improvements, you force the appreciation. If you're talking about a house, you add square footage to force the appreciation. If you're talking about a multifamily property, you add more units to force appreciation. Like all of these concepts of how to change the value of the property, not by just sitting on it and waiting for the market to change, but like you doing something with sweat equity, this concept is so powerful for me that I would say, you know, that's probably almost, maybe it is my favorite book just because it taught me this concept of forcing appreciation. Hmm. I definitely have to pick that book up. I haven't, I haven't read it yet. Super underground, hard to find. Ooh, <laughs> underground. All right. I like it. I like it. I like it. All right. Uh, skill you're currently trying to improve on. So one thing that I can tell you is that like I do a lot of my own podcasting stuff, Mm -hmm. like I've outsourced some of it, but one of the big problems of why I broke up with my real estate partner the first time back during the crash was because he was unwilling to outsource his micromanagement of the contractors. And this is something that I find myself still to some extent very unwilling to do is to give access to somebody else to edit my shows. So I'm working on changing the mindset to release that and let somebody mm. else do it. Yeah. Micromanaging is a, it's, it's a little bit tough. I, where I feel like sometimes like for me, it's just easier if I do it, but then all my time is strapped and it, it might not be the most efficient way of doing things. Highest and best use real estate investment also applies to highest and best use of your income generating activities. What is the best? So Ruben Dominguez just broke it down for me on my own lightning round. Made me feel like crap because I knew that I was not applying the things that he told me I should be doing. <laughs> is, it, is that is that episode out right now? Is, uh... It is. It just it just got released like yesterday. Or <laughs> okay, I'll definitely give it a listen because you know I'll feel like crap with you too because I'm sure I'm, I'm I'm way on that. I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, next question: uh, Who's your biggest role model? Wayne Dyer. So he's passed, but. Oh, wow. I might actually, it's tough because he's, he's gotten me into spiritual alignment in a a lot of ways, but on a, some other kind of subconscious scale, I've modeled myself completely after my father who passed when I was seven years old. So Mm -hmm. 
he was um, a doctor, military man, politician, had these big parties. And I find myself trying to do everything that he did, including the real estate investing. So I went through a phase of partying. I went through a phase of like, I'm going to study chemistry and medicine. I went through a phase where like, I wanted to have the real estate. So pretty much everything that I do in my life is modeled after and in a, in an homage to him. Mm. Shout out to Wayne Dyer. Wait, was it Wayne Dyer? Wayne Dyer is my spiritual mentor. And we're also talking about my father, Carlos V. Greth, MD. Oh, Carlos. Both of those guys. Both of those guys. I don't know which. They're both amazing. Shout out to Carlos. Shout out to Wayne. (laughs) Rock on, brother. Rock on, rock on. Uh, What is the one thing that you're doing right now that you would say is outside of your comfort zone? Uh, I don't know, man. Everything is outside of my comfort zone. That's why I love it. I, <laughs> you I step really outside love, and you're just so uncomfortable at every step you know. So I really I get I get adrenaline rush from doing things that I'm scared to do. Like for example, I'm about to start a podcast in Spanish. And like I, my Spanish isn't that good. And I have this looking good program. And I know that I can't look good and not sound good, but I'm gonna do it anyways because whatever's wrong with me internally says and compels me to do these things that I find very scary. Hmm. So I don't, I don't, I would probably just say that's kind of calling my attention right now is to start the Spanish podcast, which I'm very terrified of doing. I believe in you. You probably have way better Spanish than I do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What advice would you give to yourself if you had to do it all over again? So like I went through this period of time in my life for many years after my father died, where I was very angry at the world and very in a spiritually uncomfortable place where I was into vandalism and breaking things and doing a lot of drugs. And like, I didn't realize that God was doing things for me, not to me. It's like, how can God, you know, how can there be this God that takes away a young kid's father? And like, I was just coming from a place of hatred Like if I could go back and tell myself and get myself to understand that the way of life is to be kind and start that at a much younger age, like that would have been the best advice that I could have ever given myself because I went through a lot of turmoil trying to get to where this place, you know, this peaceful Ruben that exists today, that Mm -hmm. was not the dude that existed 20 years ago. He was in a lot of turmoil back then. I never would have guessed or even thought that you went through that. Um, but, you know, I, I really love pe- Peaceful Ruben. Peaceful Ruben now. Peaceful <laughs> Ruben's here to stay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And last question. Years from now, how do you want your family and friends to remember you by? I think I want the, man, I love attention, dude. So I, I think I want to be you know, <laughs> the, the, the dude within the family that got famous I don't know where that comes from. Like, I really love, it's just like the monkey personality. Like, I just want to be seen. doesn't matter if it's negative attention, positive attention. I just want to be noticed and respected. So we'll see how that goes. I'm sure I'll do fine. Most popular kid in high school. The- <laughs> I, I was. the. I had the, not necessarily the most popular kid, but I had the most popular place to hang out. I've said that on other shows. Oh, really? Okay. I'm curious. What is it? Was this place like in the cafeteria? Was it in the common no, spot? No, so it, it was spot? so. So uh, I was raised by women, and my mom didn't. So her philosophy was like, if my son's gonna party, I want him to be home, not driving drunk out on the street. Mm-hmm. So like that became the place uh, to have raging parties, where like the cops would come and break it up. I would like climb up the ladder, pull the ladder up onto the roof, watch the cops break up the whole party. And then like in about 30 minutes, all the people would come back and then we would do it all over again. And it was just ridiculous. Like I had all these high school kids throwing <laughs> beer bottles, like driving like maniacs up and down the street, just oh, causing no. havoc in my neighborhood. But, and that was a whole different phase of my life, you know, I, probably some weird way it led me to be who I am today, but that was a whole different beast of a person that I was in those days. Whole other Ruben. And now, and now, now we're here. And you're doing a podcast and not jumping on your roof, pulling a, pulling the ladders up there. <laughs> Hilarious. So if, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way that people can get in contact with you? 
I like LinkedIn right now. They can check me out at capitalraisershow.com or bakerson.com, which is my multifamilies website. Find me on Instagram at capitalraiser. I do spend some time on Facebook. I'm going to hope, hopefully get a little bit better at it. I used to be really good at Facebook before LinkedIn and, and the other social medias. I just, I don't know. It's hard for me, but I do like Facebook. I just don't spend enough time on there. Yeah. I got to get better at LinkedIn. I like, I'm, I'm like opposite. I like Facebook and I, that's where most of my stuff is on Facebook and Instagram, but not LinkedIn. So I got to get better on that end. Yeah. Um, so Facebook, Facebook is about talking about just your personal stuff, which I don't do anymore. It's all business and business is about, or I mean, uh, LinkedIn is about posting business stuff, but I add a little flavor of personal, which makes it unique. And if I can go into Facebook and apply the same thing where it's personal and a little bit of business, just the exact opposite. I think I'll be fine. But like, if I'm just like, here, check out my show, right on Facebook. I think people don't, they're just not into it. So yeah, I've been doing that. that. I've been doing that on Facebook and like, it's kind of a hit or miss, but most of my audience is like family members and dancers because I came from a dancing background. So they're not really into multifamily real estate. So it's a lot of just posts that are just up there and it's hard, it's hard to navigate the world of understanding social media it's really mm-hmm. tough yeah but anyways thank you everybody for tuning in today's show uh please reach out to ruben make sure to tune in for next wednesday because he's coming back for the action items episode where he literally just tells me what i can do in order to be a capital raiser and be a better investor and also a better person uh <laughs> so um tune into that episode here is perspective on how you can get started and I'll see y'all next week. Love you, dude. Thanks for having me on, Taylor. Love you, man. Love you, Ruben. Thanks for listening to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. If you got any value out of this episode, I'd greatly appreciate if you head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review the show, which will help more people receive that same value. If you're looking to connect and talk more about multifamily real estate, you can reach me at inrhythmmultifamily.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.